Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome into this week's edition of OA News Overtime. I'm Sarah Polcheski. As always, I'm here with the always wonderful Justin Lee and Jordan Hill. So guys, say hello. What's been going on with y'all this week? Well, we've got big news. We can kind of jump into it, I think. Right, Sarah? Um, here, I'm, I'm up here at the office, so uh, something must be going on. Uh, <laughs> uh, coaching change with, with women's basketball. Um, it's official. Um, was to be expected. So um, I've written a column. So my word, my thoughts are out there. Uh, Jordan, I guess what? It, what? It, how about you start us off, man? Uh, it seems like you know. It seemed like the inevitable after a, a year that they had. Um, but you know, how, where do you kind of see basketball going forward? First off, I want to point out Justin on his birthday. Breaking news out here. First off, happy birthday. Second off, I really appreciate during that shot, you were looking at your phone, look like Woj, waiting for another uh, Justin League bomb to drop. So that was nice. I think I hit on that. My perspective, um, it seemed inevitable. I mean, you can't have that kind of losing streak to end the year. And and to have the struggles they had, it, it was pretty inevitable there was going to be a change. And once again, you know, sort of parallel um, to the football situation with Gus Malzahn, when you've got an athletic director who inherits a coach, if there's, uh, you know, problems or if there's struggles, you know, there's sort of the inclination to make a change because now Alan Green can go in and, and go find a coach to, to build this women's basketball program. But, you know, it's, it's a shame because I think Terry did, you know, had plenty of positives about her and, and the things that, um, you know, while she was here, but, you know, the record kind of speaks for itself and, and the fact there wasn't progress being made. Um, and, and, you know, it's such a shame because you look at, you know, players like Unique who, uh, you know, played so well during her time as the head coach. And, um, but I, I think you kind of hit on the biggest things and, and now we get to cover another coaching search. That person just wasn't fun enough for football. Let's get in on another one, man. Let's, let's jump into this, see what happens. Uh, there's a lot to kind of digest with it. Um, one of the things that I haven't really chewed on is, like you said, you talked about the positives with Coach Flo. I mean, honestly, the the thing the thing about her approach of making Auburn a defense first team, a press team, was probably the right move. Um, that's something you've got to chew on and stomach a little bit. Um, now, of course, you debate the execution, but you know, you you know you. The, you may go out there and, and get someone to, to kind of take the same approach. Sarah, I want to ask you, ask Jordan a question. I want to ask Sarah a question. You ready? Okay. You were at Auburn more recently than, than I was. Well, how do you feel about the support for Auburn women's basketball? Um, do you think it's where it needs to be to compete with a South Carolina, a Mississippi State, or it's, of course, a Tennessee? Um, and just what, what was the, I mean, do you think there was an investment there? Or do you think it needs to be better? To be honest, when I was a student at Auburn, so I've been graduated almost three years now, which is kind of terrifying to think about. Nobody went to women's games. Nobody knew Auburn really had a women's basketball team. And to be honest, nobody really cared about the women's team. You would have never known being a student there that they had a rich history of going to the tournament and producing really good players. You would have no idea Auburn was a place that did that with women's basketball. And to be honest, I think it's definitely kept falling off the cliff, I guess you would say, just to the point where no students are really attending women's games. Nobody looks forward to going to a women's game. And like I said, to be honest, you never really actually knew Auburn had a women's basketball team. You just kind of assumed it. They just kind of existed. And 
you just kind of lived your life knowing like, all right, I'm going to football games and I'm going to men's basketball games. And nobody really ever wanted to go to women's games, which is a shame because I played women's basketball and you look at these programs such as South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and then obviously UConn, Notre Dame, and Stanford. Those are some good teams and some good names and people actually want to go to those women's games. And I think Auburn is still missing that aspect of it. And to get a new head coach that might be able to build some excitement on campus about a women's program team and just trying to get students and people involved, I think would go a very long way, even though I mean, a long way could be just getting a hundred students in attendance at a game. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why they can't, I mean, you've got the jungle, right? I mean, for, for Auburn men's basketball, why aren't they there for the women's game? You know, why, why is that? Why? And I know you got to say, Oh, you know, they need to win games and then the crowds come. That's true. But I mean, why does it, why does it have to be that way? Why let your school be a have not? Why, why let a school, why let your school be a school that doesn't have this, a rock and student section or, you know, uh, you know, uh, more banners for their women's team, because like we said, there's a rich history there. So yeah, Sarah, I mean, do you think, and Jordan too, I mean, it's almost like some of that isn't um, celebrated in my mind. So tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's more that not, I mean, of course there's more administration can do, but at the end of the day, it comes down to people and it comes down to the fans and it comes down to them. Um, I mean, am I wrong? What do you guys, what do you guys see in that? I think that's a fair, you know, look at the situation. And, you know, I think you look at other teams in the SEC. I mean, you know, Tennessee has always been sort of the standard as far as women's basketball. But And you mentioned this in your column too, Justin, but like, you know, a team like Mississippi State, I, I, to my knowledge, I don't think they've, you know, traditionally been like a Tennessee, but they were really, really good with Vic Schaefer and you saw sort of the support that came with that. And really now when I think about – women's basketball in the SEC, it's usually South Carolina and Mississippi State that kind of come to the forefront for me. So I think that, you know, I don't see there being an excuse for it not to, um, you know, be something that we see grow. And, and, you know, if they can make a hire that excites the fan base and and can get people to, to buy in, I mean, that's the biggest thing is just having someone that, you know, can bring fans to the games. I mean, I think you saw that even early on on the men's side with Bruce Pearl, you know, even those first few years where it was kind of rough, I think, you know, that sort of laid the groundwork for fans to care. So maybe that's what it's going to take. I mean, I, I think it is fair to say that, you know, the last few years, to Sarah's point, um, that there wasn't that much of a following. And, and I could say, too, you know, when I was at Georgia, it was the very end of Andy Lander's time. And you know, he was a legendary coach on uh, the Georgia team and, and had a lot of success at Georgia. And, you know, to what I can remember, it was – it's kind of similar. It probably wasn't quite as dire, but, you know, it was still about the men's team, which had Georgia wasn't much. I mean, Georgia wasn't that good during the Mark Fox era. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a fair criticism, but I think that there are ways to, to draw up and, and drum up interest in women's basketball. And, and I, I really, really hope to see that happen because, you know, Great players like Unique Thompson should be playing in front of a lot of fans. And obviously you got to set COVID aside because, you know, that, that, that was the problem before the COVID thing. Um, Auburn has, you know, really passionate fans, but you need to see more of that when the women's team's playing. The only thing I'm going to add and say onto that is when I played basketball in high school, I think a lot of our girls' games had more fans attend than some of the Auburn women's games which is saying something and I went to a small Catholic school yeah we had a rich history of women's basketball winning state titles but 
if there was a big game, our our fans would be packed supporting the girls team. And yeah, just there might have been more fans at those games than at Auburn women's games. So there's definitely a lot of room to grow there. What would it what would it take for Auburn to recruit you, Sarah P? Tell us, lay it on us. What would it take? Recruiting trip. What do you need to see? I think honestly, like there's not much you need to see. It's a D1 offer. That that would have been it for me. It's like, oh, I have a Division One offer down to play in the SEC. That's great. That's awesome. Pretend. You're supposed to pretend, pretend better. <laughs> I will say I went to UNC basketball camp in high school, and Auburn would have had to have more facilities than UNC. We went into the women's thing. They're like handprint detected, so you can go into the locker room, and the only way you can access it is by your handprint. They had soda machines. They had a whole bunch of other things that were like really cool that shouldn't have really mattered, but did. So Auburn would definitely need maybe even a face scanning recognition thing. So I wouldn't even have to use my handprint these days. That might've been it to get me there. Hand, hand, hand scans are, hand scans are so 2018. I mean, come on, that's just, that's just out of here. Photo machines is my takeaway. That's what they need. There's not enough Coke in the building. Well, Justin, do you have anything else you'd like to add about Coach Flo being out at Auburn and I guess the basketball team, the new search for their new coach? No, I mean, uh, we'll see what where they go with um, as far as the next coach goes. I mean, we could get into the nitty gritty. I think we'll have time for that later. Um, I, like I said, the thing about Coach Flo was, uh, you know, a coach who plays defense first and uh, presses, that's a very, that's a great equalizer. I mean, you might go after someone who has the same philosophy as her and uh, but obviously also I can understand going in a different direction. They're going to get, they're going to have, it's, it, this is going to be a, a tougher search. I feel like um, than a lot of, a lot of other, it may, it may be Alan Green's toughest search yet in a lot of ways, because obviously football, Auburn football is a really attractive job. Uh, Auburn volleyball, obviously, you know, getting Brent Crouch from USC was amazing. And Auburn volleyball isn't quite, you know, it, but, but SEC volleyball, is on the rise. I feel like it's like that's a that's an area where, uh, compared to the rest of the country in volleyball, it's on the rise. Salaries are going up for coaches in the SEC. It seems like the SEC is becoming more and more of a, of a place to be for volleyball, just like softball and just like gymnastics. Uh, for women's basketball, it's hard. It's, it's hard to recruit somebody to come here to compete against Tennessee and now South Carolina. Um, I mean, because South Carolina ain't going nowhere. I can tell you that. Uh, so and uh, you know, Georgia's doing better. Um, it's gonna be tough. I mean. So it, it, uh, this this may, in a weird way, be Alan Green's uh, toughest search to, to to really find a winner. Um, but I, again, I think it's a, I think it's an all around thing. I think it's time to really reevaluate, you know, as an Auburn as you know the Auburn family, uh, you know what, you know, is this something that you really want to invest in? Uh, and if they do, they should they should go for it from all angles, not just uh, from the coach. So we'll see. Jordan, you got anything to add, or do you think Justin pretty much covered all of our bases? Pretty much covered it, but I will say for anyone listening, if they haven't read Justin's column on the coaching change, by all means, pause pause the podcast for just a couple minutes. Go check it out, because I thought he made some really good points and really hit the nail on the head as far as what uh, what the future can, can be and, and what the future might hold in store for Auburn women's basketball. All right, well... On that note, we'll transition to kind of some more regular run-of-the-mill news instead of this breaking news, I guess that happened a little less than an hour after we, a little less than an hour before we started recording this podcast. So uh, we'll move into the mundane stuff. And of course, what's the mundane stuff? It's Auburn football. So 
football season is almost here. I guess spring football season, I wouldn't call it regular football season. And Auburn's got another big kind of recruit signed and committed. Well, he hasn't signed yet, but he's committed. Auburn highs Powell Gordon. So Jordan, what can you tell us about Powell Gordon and what it means for Auburn to sign somebody from right here at home? Yeah, I think this was a big pickup for Auburn, Pal Gordon. Uh, it was fun talking to him when he first got that Auburn offer, which was only about a week before he committed. And, you know, you could kind of tell he, he was kind of making up his mind. He, he wanted to commit. He wanted to be a Tiger. Um, his, his dad went to Auburn. His grandfather went to Auburn. Um, but I'm going to tell you, this kid can play. Uh, I mean, he, he was really, really excellent as a pass rusher last year for Auburn High. Auburn High defense, that was honestly one of the better defenses in the entire state of Alabama. And then in the state championship game, you know, I'm going to be honest, we all kind of felt like they were outmatched going into it against Thompson, and they did not play like it, and a big part of that was Powell. I think he wound up with a a couple of sacks and and really put a lot of pressure on Thompson and put Auburn in a good position to win that game. Uh, So I think that's a big pickup for Auburn. You know, they kind of look at him playing middle linebacker and He's more of a DN outside linebacker at Auburn High, um, but I think that's going to be a natural transition for him and, and with his size and the way he's able to move. So I think that's big, and I, I'm really intrigued by the fact that it's an Auburn High kid going to Auburn's first time. If he winds up signing with Auburn, that would be the first time since 2009 that they signed somebody from Auburn High. But uh, they've gotten uh, they've shown a lot of interest in a few other local guys. Uh, Jarrell Stinson is a commit in – uh, next year's class from Opelika. He's a really fast, uh, really talented defensive back. Uh, they've offered other local guys, Eston Harris uh, from Beauregard, and uh, I'm trying to think a uh, Caden Story from Lynette, a big defensive lineman who I think he, Caden may wind up being the best of these local guys if he winds up going to Auburn. But I think it's really an interesting look, you know, between. Uh, sort of last few years of the Malzahn era, there wasn't quite that many of these local East Alabama guys signing with Auburn. And, you know, Brian Harson was hired and kind of talked about, you know, the need to recruit nationally. And, and they are doing that. You're seeing them offer guys from Texas and California pretty much every other day. But at the same time, I think that this staff has quickly understood that there is a lot of local talent and a lot of local talent that grew up rooting for Auburn. I mean, I think that you know, if the guys fit the bill and if these guys fit what they are looking for in these athletes, I mean, some of these guys are just no brainers. They're in there. If they're in your backyard, go get them. So, uh, you know, they've missed out on a few guys over the years. And uh, so, yeah, I think Powell is a big addition for Auburn. And, and I think he very well may be the first of maybe a couple or two or three local guys that wind up signing with the Tigers. Yeah, I watched Powell play all year, and I thought I was always really impressed with him. And he's also just a great kid. I did. He was one of our players of the week, and we had a really fun time out. And I think it was like a 90-degree day out on the turf doing our interview. And we had a really good time and really happy to see him commit to Auburn. And I think and hope it's a good fit for him moving forward. But off of the recruiting topic, and we'll move right into our favorite time of the year, spring football season. We got spring practice starting soon. I think the best news for most Auburn fans, especially the Auburn beat writers, is that A-Day is not on the Masters weekend this year. So, guys, what do you guys kind of expect out of spring practice leading up to A-Day on April 17th? I'll be very intrigued to see what A-Day looks like and see, you know, especially like with the defense, with Derek Mason, how different does sort of the, the scheme look? How much will they show us? So, we may not get to see exactly all the different changes, but – 
Um, definitely intrigued, like you said, Sarah, at least uh, we were all kind of bracing for this to come on uh, the day, uh, the Saturday of the Masters. So they had a little bit of mercy and, and didn't uh, double book the beat riders. But uh, I think it'll be a, a really intriguing spring, uh, you know, an A-day game spring scrimmage because really the, that first spring scrimmage with a new head coach, there's always just so much optimism, so much excitement from the fan base. I'll be interested when we get a little bit closer what capacity looks like and how many fans wind up showing up, you know, compared to what they were allowing. Because, um, you know, I think about back to when I was still at Georgia, uh, when Kirby Smart was starting his first year. Obviously, this was pre-pandemic, but there was like 93,000 fans because it's all about optimism. You're starting over, you know, people want to see what things look like, different changes, players in perhaps different places. So, um, it's a lot of exciting and a lot of new things coming down the track. You know, at this point, we're all just kind of guessing, you know, I've seen several beat writers are already starting with, you know, looking at different positions and, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of guesses. It's a lot of, you know, sort of feels from what little we've talked to Brian Harson and, and thoughts on what might be coming, but that a day scrimmage will really be our first sort of test of, of what the football team may look like and what the spring, uh, you know, how the spring has come together and what the fall might look like a few months from now. We're hardly even sure what defense uh, Terry Mason's going to run, you know, so and where he's going to put guys in that defense. So, yeah, uh, we'll glean a little bit more of that through spring. Uh, where they're not going to hardly give us any access, if any at all, because of COVID uh, for practice. But then obviously you get to A-Day, everybody gets to see that. So, uh, we'll, we'll get a, at least a picture of what it's supposed to look like um, with, with, yeah, with Mason and with, uh, and with Bobo. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, it, it's like, like you said, it's always a, you know, a coaching, a new coach spring is, it's all new. It's all exciting. It's all, everyone's undefeated and hasn't lost yet. So um, we'll see, we'll see what, uh, what steps, what steps forward they can take and uh, how different I'll be interested at, at just how different things look. Uh, at, at a day and if there's a if there really is a different feel in the air so it's kind of like a it's kind of like a first test it's your first game before your first game and I think you hitting on Bobo there you know when I really think about it, the two position groups I think I'm most interested in seeing in that scrimmage which again there's probably only so much we can glean from it is running backs and receivers just because we knew running back depth was such a concern coming in with Harson taking over and also the receivers they lost their top three receivers from last year uh, that's a big concern, and, you know, you can see guys maybe take this as a chance to break out if they have a big scrimmage. And, again, it only means so much, but if we see someone just completely dominate or, or really put in a good performance, you know, that re really may set the standard and, and sort of set them up for success through the summer, getting ready for uh, September. And I think something interesting you mentioned there, Jordan, was the capacity limits of COVID at this 8 mm -hmm. game. I can remember being a student at Auburn and – a-Day wasn't really well attended. It was averagely attended, and it didn't help that it usually rained on A-Day. It was always a big rainstorm, so of course there wouldn't be very many fans because nobody wanted to sit out in the rain to watch a scrimmage. But building off of that, you know, the fall could look very different. Georgia and Alabama have already said they're going to have full stadiums in the fall. At least that's what they're planning on. Do you all think that's feasible at Auburn since those massive universities with maybe even bigger fan bases planning to have I guess a normal fall. Well, look, uh, ask a doctor, not us, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
I mean, there there are models out there. There are projections from like the New York Times that have this this graph going down to zero in July. I mean, it could be possible that we could get toward a very normal fall. I'm hopeful for it. That's all I want. If it, you know, obviously, if it were up to me, we'd all go in lockdown until until September, just because, or August, because I just want the kids to have a normal fall. I'm, you know, I, I hate it that college students and high school students alike had had such a weird year this past year. But that's me being selfish and, you know, who I care about the kids. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully it could happen. But yeah, I mean, there are models out there. There are projections out there that if we can get this shot in people's arms. Uh, that thing's going to go all the way down in uh, by, um, you know, by July. And Sarah, like here at AMC, uh, we, it went, went down to 10, right? 10 hospitalized for, for, for COVID-19? Yeah, 10 hospitalized this week. And we'll find out the new numbers today of what it looks like if it went back up or went down even more. But it's like the lowest they've been since March of 2020. So that was a big milestone for the local hospital system to reach. It went up to like 90 after the holidays, right? Yeah, it was up to 92 in January and started to go back down and then just started plummeting back down in February, which is all really good. But then you got to play that game where I know we're not scientists, but then you got to play that game and look at the numbers and say, well, the hospitalizations went down, but your death toll rose a significant amount in February. So positives and negatives to both. Yeah. And like, and like, and it's all relative because we say 90 and 10, but you know, I think, you know, EMC one time said that 40 was a bad number, right? And then it went all the way up to 90. So, I mean, and obviously one is a bad number. So, uh, yeah, but think, all I care about is that the, the graph is going down and the graph needs to stay going down. And uh, hopefully maybe it's possible. Maybe we can get through this thing. Yeah, I'm certainly hoping, hoping for a full stadium this fall. College football isn't quite without all the fanfare. And last year was definitely missed. And hopefully this year they can get it back. But before we move on to our next Auburn sports topic, I kind of want to throw in a little bit. Um, Gus Malzahn seems to be poaching most of the former Auburn coaching staff and former Auburn players. We just got word that Big Cat Bryant is headed there too. So what do you guys kind of see with Gus Malzahn building UCF as kind of maybe a baby Auburn of sorts? Satellite, satellite campus for Auburn uh, down there in Orlando. I mean, that, that sounds pretty appealing. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially with some of those guys. I think really Mark Anthony Richards, that's the guy that stands out to me. That's like that, that really may pay off for him given, you know, he, he showed flashes last year, uh, you know, he was limited at the beginning due to a knee injury. And then, you know, he really kind of came on in that Alabama game and, and gave some, some good looks. And you thought, well, maybe this is going to be a guy that can kind of work in tandem with Tank and, and even with Sean Shivers, but you know, he decided to leave. He's, he reunites with Gus down there. So intrigued by that, intrigued by Big Cat going down there. And, you know, there were rumors that he was going to wind up at Oklahoma and, and was really going to add some depth out there. But I think with him going to UCF, that gives him more of a chance to play. Uh, I'll be really interested to see what it looks like. And and then, yeah, with the, the coaches that Gus has hired, some of the guys he's brought in, some of the former players that have joined his staff. That's always good to see, especially, you know, guys that are really getting their uh, foothold into coaching. You know, this is an opportunity for some of those guys. And, you know, again, we talked about this when Gus was hired as the head coach at UCF. That's a really good job. I mean, that's probably the best AAC job or right there with Cincinnati and maybe a couple of those other ones. That's a grand opportunity for some of these guys to prove themselves and now they get to prove themselves alongside a head coach that they know well. Again, some of them have played for. 
Um, so, yeah, I think it's a great situation for those guys. And, and yeah, we may not call it Auburn Satellite Campus, but it's certainly helped a lot of those former guys, guys that we've seen around the football program and, and could lead to some even bigger things for some of those guys going down the line. That's a good way to start. You know, it's a good way to, you know, while you're getting familiar with your surroundings, you know, bring in some familiar faces, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Big Cat being there just for one year, obviously Mark Anthony Richards, he's got a little more, a little more eligibility, but yeah, I mean, just, just like what Brian Harson did here, but he brought in a lot of Boise guys and a lot of people he's worked with before. Um, it's a good way to get started. And obviously things, you know, he may be more uh, entrenched in the Orlando area by year three, but to begin with, you know, you, bring, you try to blend. You try to blend a little bit of what you know with a little bit of what they know down there and uh, try to make it a smooth transition. So it, it's, I see, you see what he's doing. You see the strategy. So I think it's a smart move. Definitely. I wouldn't mind going to Orlando myself. I mean, Disney World and all that down there. Seems like a pretty great spot if you're telling me. But um, I guess let's move on to one of our favorite Auburn sports to talk about right now, which is sadly about to come to a close this weekend. Their season's headed to an end against Mississippi State on Saturday with Auburn men's basketball. So uh, let's just get the, I guess, the elephant out of the room. Yes, Auburn lost, uh, got swept by Alabama this year in basketball, something Auburn fans are cringing about with a 12-point loss at Alabama on Tuesday. And of course, they didn't have Sharif Cooper playing with them. So what did you guys kind of see out of that team on Tuesday on the road without their leader on offense? Yeah, I mean, you said it's offense. Offense was the problem. Uh, they did they did what they could defensively. I mean, they so Alabama scored 94 against uh, Auburn the first time. It was a 94 to 90 shootout in Auburn Arena. And this time Auburn held uh, Alabama to 70 points. I mean, which was a success on the defensive end. Uh, but on the offensive end, there were too many turnovers, um, just like just like you'd expect without Sharif, you don't have a point guard. Um, at Tennessee, against Tennessee, they managed uh, somehow to hold on to the ball, make smart choices, uh, you know, shorten the game a little bit. But when you're on the road, things are a lot harder, and uh, they couldn't – they turned it over way to, uh, literally a season high. Um, so, obviously, maybe, maybe there's something in scout that Alabama found that Tennessee wasn't doing that they did defensively. Um, so I think the, the blueprint is out now on, on how to beat them without Sharif, um, you know, just as soon as you were adjusting to how to play him with Sharif. Uh, so, yeah, tough, tough, tough loss. I mean, losing to your rivals, like Bruce said, they're not happy. It's, that's, that's, that's not where you want to be, um, and you certainly don't want to get swept. So uh, that's a tough loss, obviously. You know, you're missing two of your guards. Uh, so it's difficult, but uh, you just try to take it as a learning experience, I suppose. I want to just say congratulations to Sarah for that transition with the elephant in the room. I mean, I, I figured Justin might get up and leave when, when she pulled that one off. But just <laughs> hit on, you know, with that Alabama game, just too many turnovers. I, I think, you know, they had like, I think, 12 or 13 against Tennessee. And they early, they matched that early in the first half uh, against Alabama. And, and to their credit, they still were kind of hanging around. In that second half, they cut Alabama's lead to maybe about six. And you thought, well, oh, you know, we might have have some some interesting last few minutes. And then Alabama kind of took the game back over. But, um, yeah, you know, it, I know that Auburn fans didn't like to see that and obviously don't want to get swept by Alabama and obviously don't want to see Alabama as the top team in the SEC in another sport, you know, so, but, you know, that's sort of the nature of what this season's been. Alabama's been good. Auburn right now is playing without their best player. And, you know, I thought they gave a pretty good effort, but 
you know, at the end of the day, offense didn't come through. The defense held its own and, and did a better job of limiting Alabama. But when you have that many turnovers and throw away that many possessions, it's going to wind up biting you. And it did against a really good Alabama team. Well, we have one more game left to see what this Auburn team can do. And we don't know if Sharif Cooper is going to play on Saturday against Mississippi State or not. But regardless, what are your all's thoughts if we even see Sharif, if he does play, if he doesn't play, regardless, does he come back next year? Is there any chance of a window where Sharif Cooper comes back to play with what might arguably be one of Bruce Pearl's best Auburn teams? My guess is that he does not, but I think what it's going to come down to is we sort of talked about this on past episodes is what they find about his draft stock. If they think that he's going to be a lower first round pick, he probably comes back. But if they consider he'll be around, you know, the, the edge at least of the lottery, you know, top 14 picks, then he's going to go. So, you know, I think as far as this year, I would be surprised if he goes on Saturday just you know, what Bruce said after the Alabama game, he said that Sharif wasn't close to being able to go play, even though there's a little bit of talk beforehand that was like, oh, Sharif's out there. Like, oh, oh, you know, they're pulling him. The whole rivalry game's got him feeling great. And it was like, no, he wasn't quite as close as we might have hoped. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if we see him on Saturday and then past that. You know, as it stands right now, I think I would be surprised if he winds up coming back, just given what we've heard so far about what NBA teams and, and sort of projections. But a lot can change. A lot can change. And, you know, if he goes through the process, they may see some things and, and have some more concerns um, which, you know, for Auburn, uh, I'd, I'd say they wouldn't be too sad if he decides to come back for a sophomore year. Here's my thing. Have I roasted Auburn fans enough today? Because I got some more. Uh, because Do it. <laughs> I keep, you keep seeing this myth out there, this idea that, oh, he's not ready for the NBA. Well, guess what? No one who gets drafted is ready for the NBA. He is a prospect. He is a prospect. Trevor Lawrence, when he gets drafted, isn't ready to start in his first game. Maybe after training camp, he will be, but he's a prospect. He's not, you're not drafting a player from another NBA team. You're drafting a college kid. It's about his trajectory. It's about how you think he's going to get better. So as far, as far as if he's coming back or not, we don't know. Anyone who says they know is lying because he doesn't know. Sharif does not know. Uh, but the NBA is going to come back and tell him. And they, they you know, they, here's the slim chance. The slim chance is that they come and they tell him, hey, you're a second rounder right now. If you come back, you could be a lottery pick. That's the chance. But uh, the, 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 the idea of saying there's no way or he's not ready or blah, 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 blah. You, someone could still pick him in the first round based on his potential alone. It, it, it doesn't have to, it doesn't matter where he is right now because you draft prospects, you draft on potential, you're trying to grow, you're trying to draft talent and develop it. So, you know, set all that aside and, and just know that we're not going to know. It's, it's going to depend on what the NBA tells him. And, but thankfully for Sharif, for his own good, um, the, the process has never been more player friendly as far as you can enter, uh, you can test all the waters, and then at the very end, you can pull your name back out and, and still come back to college. So uh, in that way, just, you know, I guess as an Auburn fan, be glad that he's going to get as much information as any player has ever gotten, you know, it, um, as, as, as this, this process gets better, more and more player friendly. So uh, we'll see. But again, I think that's something people need to keep in mind that you draft on potential, not on whether he's ready or not, doesn't matter. And I want to bring up just another side to this, you know, Sharif may or may not come back, but one player that we haven't really seen much since January 
until last Saturday where he finally rejoined the team was uh, Auburn guard, Justin Powell, who's been out with a concussion. And I mean, it seems like he's really battled these concussions like symptoms for months on end, considering it has taken him this long to even sit on the bench with his team. I know when I had my concussion, it was always a huge deal when I was finally able to go and sit and watch a game. And even still, I'd have headaches and sometimes I'd try it and could only make it through a quarter of a game before I had to go home and go take a nap. So what do you guys kind of think that showed with his recovery process by him alone just being out there with his team last Saturday against Tennessee? I think that was huge. And it was kind of a surprise. You know, we were watching for Sharif and then I saw, I think it was Josh Vitale pointed out like, oh, there's Justin. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, so that was a, a huge plus, you know, coming down the end of this season, just to see him back out there. And, you know, Bruce talked about it a little bit after that Tennessee win that, you know, he was making progress. He was finally being able to kind of handle the lights and, and handle the noise. Um, so it, it was a really welcome sight. You know, we, we've talked about how scary these concussions can be. And obviously he was having issues with it because he was out for as long as he's been out. I mean, the, the last game he was in was January 2nd. And here we are, it's early March. And he's just now getting back uh, to sitting on the bench. So, you know, Bruce basically said, don't expect him to, to be in any of these last few games, which, you know, there's really no reason to push it. But with him getting back to lifting, finally getting back to shooting, you know, him being there at the games, I got to imagine is really big for his mentality, you know, the mental side of coming back from this injury. So um, really a welcome side, probably one of the big positives for Auburn uh, coming down to the end of this season. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can continue lifting, continue shooting and those symptoms, if there are any lingering at this point, um, continue to subside and, you know, he can come back and have a really impressive sophomore year. You know, that was a big part of the, you know, the saddest part of him getting hurt was he was playing so well. I mean, he'd been named SEC Freshman of the Week, and you thought about the ability to him, you know, for him to play uh, alongside Sharif, and uh, we didn't get to see that, which was a shame, but uh, be exciting to see what he's able to do next year. Yeah, it would have been really unfortunate if he had to go all the way into fall, going all the way into next year, having not been around a game since he got hurt, right? So I think it's a big deal for him to get out there and, and go and uh, just kind of smell it, you know, be back with the team for a, for a couple games before the end and be seen, you know, and then, and, and, you know, so, you know, who knows what would happen if fans were spending all summer, uh, you know, uh, pontificating and guessing and speculating on what, where, where, where he is. So uh, was, I think that was a good, a very big, uh, good step. And obviously they're going to be as, they're as safe as they can. They're not rushing him because there's no reason to rush him. Um, so they, they obviously felt comfortable with them, with them joining the team and kind of being around the lights and the noise again. So uh, very good sign all the way around and glad for it. And hopefully he'll be, he'll be good to go next year. Yeah. Like y'all said about Justin Powell rejoining the team, it's just, I'll be interested to interested to see how he takes his next step back to playing because every time I tried to come back and play I get headaches but hopefully that's not the case for him and hopefully we'll see him on the court again next season with the rest of the Auburn team but from that we're all head into one of our other winter sports that is wrapping up and that is Auburn gymnastics the gymnastics team just absolutely crushed last weekend on the road at Florida like they were expecting to scoring a more than 195, Justin, is that correct? Top the 197 on the road. Yes. I'm sorry, 197. That is exactly what I meant. But 195 was some, for some reason in my head. 
But what does that kind of mean for Auburn to get a 197 on the road? Okay, that's huge. That's a big score. So that that is a, like, at a certain point in the season, uh, only the top five teams in the country were averaging a 197 as far as every every uh, meet in an average. Uh, obviously, Auburn wasn't averaging it every time. But but so so what you need is, of course, as we talk about in gymnastics, wins and losses do not matter. You do not care. Uh, what matters is, for example, Auburn's one in seven and ranked number 12. It doesn't matter. So uh, what you need is for postseason, you need two good road scores and two good home scores. The home scores are typically better because you have um, you have home equipment. You're used to that equipment because I mean the, the equipment, the vault. I mean the spring, everything, everything's. Uh, you're you're dealing. You're in a sport of millimeters here. So uh, the equipment's a big deal. So uh, you everyone performs better at home. Uh, I didn't even know that Auburn was Auburn had hit 197 twice at home, which is a good score. I didn't even know they were capable of hitting it on the road. Uh, you know, they had they had been in the 195s, 196, and in, and in gymnastics, one point is huge. That's what you, you would say it as 10 tenths because that's how you know a tenth is is more like a point really. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it, to, to to go there to Florida, they thought they had an opportunity. Um, because like we talked about, I think we talked about it here on the show, because Florida's number one, uh, you go there, you think you're going to, you're, you're going to be an electric environment. Uh, you know, everyone's going to be sticking, everyone's going to be pushing each other and the judges are going to, you know, be in a, uh, judges are going to be used to scoring high so that maybe they'll, they'll score, keep scoring a little high when you go. So what they were able to do was compare themselves straight up with Florida. And so Florida was doing this amazing stuff. And then Auburn was able to show, Hey, we're not that far behind Florida. So, so they got a they got a a good score, and uh, that was that was drama. It was crazy. Um, I'm gonna write a story about Cassie Stevens next. Um, just about uh, she. It was about as dramatic as you could get because she had a fall early in one event in bars, and then they they pulled her from vault uh, because she was still in her head a little bit and like tweaked her foot. But then she bounced back on floor, and then so about the closest. This is about the closest thing you can get to defense in gymnastics. Uh, on when she was performing beam at the very end of the meet, at the very very end, uh, Florida's Trinity Thomas got a ten on floor. So as obviously both you know both teams are doing stuff at different times, her score came in as Cassie is on this tiny thin beam trying to balance. Uh, the arena erupts, um, and it, it could have been a major distraction. But she ended up pulling off her routine, and that actually pushed them over the 197, which is uh, it was pretty dramatic, a dramatic end of the meet. Uh, so, uh, so now they have um, two two good roads, two good home scores, and one good road score, and one fair. They have a 196-1, one, one fair uh, road score. Uh, so this week at home, uh, I think they'll just be solidifying. You know, they if they top their home scores, it won't be by a lot. So their, their next real big move for postseason is SEC championships where they can drop that low road score. So anyway, all that to say, uh, they're meeting Arkansas. You're trying to peak at the right time. Uh, and uh, Arkansas is uh, a program on the rise with Jordan Weber as their coach, which is pretty crazy. Uh, the, <laughs> I got to do a Zoom interview with an Olympian this week. That was weird. Uh, so um, I remember watching her at the 2012 Olympics. So uh, that's just kind of, there's a story up now if you want to read it. It's just kind of a testament of, of where SEC gymnastics is right now. Um, all these teams are, are ranked high. Um, all of them are, are going to go to the regionals in the postseason. So uh, one last home meet um, for Auburn. It's just a matter of, like I said, you're not quite, you know, they could, they could chase the score. And obviously, if you get a 197, you're happy about it. But they're not going to bump up 
their postseason uh, standing very much. So maybe they'll try some different things if they wanted to. But mostly, this is just about making sure you're peaking at the right time and, and you're doing all the right things going into the SC Championships. SC Championships are March 20th, and then um, the regionals are in April after that. So there you go. There's the gymnastics soapbox for this week. And I just want to chime in real quick that I'm the one who told Justin Lee that Jordan Weaver was the head coach of Arkansas. I grew, I was a pretty big Jordan Weaver fan when I was, I guess, in my teenage years. I had a Weaver Fever shirt and absolutely loved her and was totally crushed when she didn't make the all-around finals in the Olympics and her two other teammates, Gabby Douglas and Allie Raceman, qualified ahead of her, but so is life. It's going to be really kind of a fun moment for me to be able to be at that meet and see her in person because I always thought she was a pretty cool person. She didn't make all around, but she still went with the team and helped the team win gold. I remember that. That was that was pretty dramatic. Yeah, and speaking of Olympians, Auburn's got another Olympian. Well, we assume an Olympian on the way coming next year in gymnastics as well. And Justin has tweeted a lot of her crazy bar routine. So, Justin, I just want you to chime in on this only because it is even something crazier to look forward to next year in gymnastics. That's my cousin, cousin Sunisa. No, we are not related. Her name is Sunisa Lee. My name is Justin Lee. Uh, yeah, no, she's she's uh, she's tearing it up right now, and then and she is signed for the the class of uh, 2021-2022, so fall semester. Uh, so I mean, that's uh, you know, if obviously well, anything can change, but that's uh, that's something to really look forward to. I mean, think about it. That this this next meet, yeah, you've got an Olympian and Jordan Weber coaching. Next meet for Auburn at home next year, they might have an Olympian uh, performing, flipping around up there on bars. So uh, that's, again, this is the trajectory of the conference. This is where, you know, where the conference is going. And we can kind of tie this back to, to women's basketball and everything else. Um, the SEC is really, now's the time, you know, the SEC is really investing in gymnastics. They, I think only eight or nine programs do it. But the ones that are, are investing. Uh, the SEC Network is a big part of that. You can get on national TV. Um, if you, you want to come to, uh, for recruiting-wise, if you want to come to perform in front of a, a packed building, uh, the SEC is the place to be uh, as far as a conference top to bottom. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's just another. So, it's, it's, that's kind of like softball. Softball, you look at the top 25, they're all SEC, you know, all the SEC teams are in there. So, uh, that's just another sign that, you know, gymnastics is, is on the rise in, in the SEC, and we'll just see uh, where it goes from here. And Justin, you mentioned softball, so that's what I want to kind of get y'all to talk about next. Auburn had another good 5-0 and sweep last weekend, and freshman Maddie Penta threw her second no-hitter of the early season, which I would say is a pretty big deal, especially being a freshman. And, of course, the Tigers have another multi-game series starting this weekend at home, so – what do you got? What are y'all's thoughts on the beginning of Auburn softball this season? Troy's low key good, I think. So Troy will be a good test. I think Troy's good. Uh, so we'll we'll see. So so far, South Carolina was their their first big real test. Um, so maybe maybe Troy will, will, will push them back a little bit too, and we'll see. But obviously, they're trying to play uh, as many teams as they can. But uh, man, dude, SEC is coming up March twelfth. I didn't even notice that. So Alabama rivalry series to start with. Uh, yeah, so next week. Um, wow. So, yeah, SEC's coming up. This will be your last weekend to, to, for them to kind of fine-tune things. I think Southern Miss and Southeast Louisiana are probably all right. But Troy would Troy's probably, I would think, is your, your real chance to, to sharpen up a little bit here before, before Alabama. 
Yeah, shout out to Maddie Penta for the way she played. I mean, she almost threw a perfect game. I mean, she was right on the cusp of a perfect game, still really early in her college career. So, yeah, Justin, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that uh, a Troy game will probably be pretty interesting, and then we're going to turn around, and then uh, the softball team's going to be playing the games that really matter. And kind of to move forward to more drama on the diamond, Auburn baseball, had kind of a disappointing weekend last weekend out in Texas, losing to Baylor, Oklahoma, but winning a conference game against Texas A&M. But that's not really the drama. The drama kind of happened yesterday with throwing in a new game at the last minute, cutting off Xavier. We're not playing Xavier anymore. And, hey, we're going to bring in number 18 Boston College. So, Jordan, I think you said you have a little bit more insight of how all that went down in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it was pretty wild. We talked to Butch Thompson on Wednesday, and he kind of talked about how that came together. And basically, there were concerns that Xavier would not be able to play. Uh, Butch didn't really talk about specifically what it was. I'd have to imagine it was maybe COVID-related, that they didn't think they would have players uh, by the time the conversations had kind of popped up. So uh, Butch and, and those guys started talking to other teams, trying who was available. And number 18, Boston College was supposed to play Wake Forest, and Wake Forest had backed out. So uh, Butch knew Boston College's coach. Uh, he used to be a Southeast scout, so he's been in the area, uh, and they had developed you know, a relationship over the years, so they reached out. And I think this is a huge win for Auburn. I think this is a premier opponent uh, that's going to be coming into Auburn, and Auburn can kind of see where it sacks up in the nation. And, you know, I could tell when Butch was talking about adding these games – you know, he was excited about it, and he basically said, you know, the nation's eyes are going to be on Auburn again. The nation's going to be paying attention to what Auburn baseball does against a, a really talented Boston College team. It was pretty funny. I was reading today a uh, MLB preview magazine that also just listed, like, the top 50 college prospects, and there was two or three guys from Boston College. I thought that was pretty telling. Like, they've got talent, and uh, they're going to be a really good team. So, so, yeah, I think, you know, as crazy as that all was, and, and Butch basically said that's the first time I've had to add a, a series like that, and I hope it's the last time just because it was such last-minute kind of maneuvering and jockeying. But I think it's going to be a really good test. I think we're going to see where Auburn stacks up, and it's still early enough that if they see issues with the lineup or, or things they can tweak, um, they can learn from it. So I'm really excited to see what this Boston College series looks like. And, and see if they can maybe gain a little momentum after, you know, dropping those first two games, the Round Rock Classic, and, you know, that Oklahoma game was in extra innings. Uh, they bounced back really well in that Texas A&M win on Sunday. Maybe they can keep it going against Boston College. Justin, what are your thoughts about this coming weekend's baseball series? Pretty crazy that they can add it like that, but I guess that's a, a sign of the times. You're adding a top – 25 team at the 11th hour how about that um yeah so that's uh, it's pretty wild it's kind of it reminds me of uh kind of the high school football days or high school sports where it's like you know coach is looking for a game call us <laughs> tweet out your cell phone number <laughs> so uh yeah that's uh it's a little bit of a throwback, but that's that's just COVID this year, and uh, I can understand them kind of, you know, you don't want a Xavier to travel all the way down here and then have to cancel, so go on, go ahead and, and find another one, so, uh, and that's, uh, again, SEC, I'm sure, is coming up fast for them, so another another good test uh, for them to, to, to see where they really are. Yeah, Plainsman Park will definitely be, definitely be the place to be this weekend, but, you know, I think the biggest, the biggest place to be, Justin, I'm sorry, the 
Sorry, I was, Go ahead. Say, I was just gonna say there's I don't think there's any TV until uh, Sunday because of how short notice it was. So see if you can get yourself a socially distanced ticket and uh, see if you can go Friday or Saturday. You might want to start looking into it now. Absolutely. But I was going to say the real place to be, especially tonight, is going to be with Justin Lee celebrating his birthday. So what? Justin, Justin, what would you say is your favorite birthday party or birthday memory? Oh, my gosh. Uh, my 21st at Supper Club. Then, then again, I don't remember it, so maybe that's not a good memory. That's the sign of a good twenty-first birthday. <laughs> that would be it. I don't know. I'm not a big birthday party or birthday celebrator, uh, but that would probably be one. That one. Rest in peace, the supper club. We hardly knew you. My favorite place. I say we, I say we all go find a Chuck E. Cheese that's still open, or maybe a Dave and Buster's and socially distance and shoot some some skee ball or something. Some social Let me, see, I think the thing to do, my 13th party birthday party, we did a murder mystery party at my house and everybody dressed up as beauty queens. And it was uh, one of the beauty queens killed another beauty queen. And we had different police officers and everything. My dad hated having a bunch of 13 year old girls running around the house trying to solve this mystery. Really? But 13 years old? It was a fantastic birthday party. I was very sick. I think I had the flu or something close to it. But we didn't cancel. We didn't postpone. I still, you know, had 21 of my closest friends over for my 13th birthday party. Were you the one who got murdered? Because that'd be an easy role to play if you're sick. You just lay there. You're just like, oh, I'm playing the murdered person. <laughs> no, She's I was a She was a method. She was a method actor. She just went totally in on the character. No, I was Miss Louisiana because I forget what her first name was, but I thought it was the coolest like name out of all the names of the different PD pageant people who were there. But it was definitely a fun time. Jordan, what are your favorite birthday memories? Probably, I think I was 12 or 13. Uh, my birthday fell on the time that Tennessee had their spring game. Uh, some of my dad's family's from Tennessee, so we just kind of turned it into a trip, went to the Smoky Mountains, went and watched Tennessee. I think that was the year that we were able to meet Philip Fulmer. So we just kind of made it a, a college football-esque trip and, and went and saw some wildlife in, in Tennessee and kind of made a fun little trip out of my birthday weekend. Well, for anybody who is on Twitter and social media, make sure you hit up Justin Leo and wish him a happy birthday today. But besides that, you know, still lots of sports going on. What do you guys have coming this week in the paper and online? I'm going to write about Cassie Stevens for gymnastics here in a little bit. So that should be in the paper tomorrow. Uh, and then who knows what happens next week. You know, yeah, now we got a women's coaching search, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, for me, Tyler Miller, a baseball player for Auburn, he came here as a shortstop. He's playing first now. We had a chance to talk to him, so that'll be in Friday's paper. Um, besides that, I'm sure I'll be kind of keeping tabs on what the baseball team does against Boston College. And going back to preps, we got a, a state championship game on Saturday. Lynette Panthers boys basketball team is going to be playing for the Class 2A state championship. So I'll probably be over there in Birmingham handling that. And I'm sure Justin will be uh, all over the Auburn and Mississippi State games. So it uh, should be a fun uh, and, again, some busy uh, next couple of days. Well, everyone be on the lookout for their stories on social media and online. And once again, thanks for listening and watching us. We really appreciate all the support we've gotten so far, and we look forward to hanging out with y'all again this time next week. <laughs>